On the Empire podcast this week, we live the high life with the legendary French director Claire Denis. There is a sort of loneliness in making film. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that would deeply, deeply, deeply like two tickets to the Champions League final, please. You can't see me, but I'm closing my eyes and I'm holding out my hand. Oh, and by the way, I would also like some flights and accommodation. That's not too much to ask for. Totally fine. You should ask Zavi. Apparently, they're uh, they're quite accommodating when it comes to that. Yes, the apparently they've been uh, inviting everybody uh, on yeah, the mailing list. Yeah. Yeah, you've all got flights, accommodation to the Champions League final. Great. Fantastic. Even I'm going. It's brilliant. Even you are going. Hello, Pod. I am Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Delighted to be here this week. And the other day, I was in Turin, and now I'm here. Look at that jet setting all over the shop. In fact, in Turin, that's where I watched the Liverpool semi-final of the Champions League, whilst ignoring. Two major movie stars going, not going at it, that would be terrible, uh, having a, a big old dialogue scene on a major motion picture. Meanwhile, some crew members were watching the football match on their phone, so I ended up yeah. doing that. With the permission of the director, by the way. That's very good of you to check. Yes. Anyway, that's what I was doing. Uh, this week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Of course, our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, is here. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good, good. Have you ever done that? anything on a movie set like that, Helen? Have you ever bunked off and... And done a naughty? I have not. I'm a professional, damn it. Yeah? I have tried to download the Thor Ragnarok trailer halfway up a mountain in Nepal. It's Nepalian know. behavior. Hey. But, uh, but no, on a movie set, I'm professional, I'm focused, I am probably over at Craft Services eating stuff. Mm, craft Services mm. is a great place. And uh, James Dyer is also here, which is nice. Thanks, Chris. So I've no longer said I'm nice, I guess. I've elevated you to just... So right, it's, it's definitely nice. It's, just, nice. it's good to you have you You don't even here. need to guess. You know it's nice. Well, so few people are, are available to do the podcast. <laughs> I'm just... I'm glad that you're here. I uh, am the bottom of the barrel. What is your movie set game like, Jimbo? Are you someone who's diligent? Do you, For example, I, I pulled a 12-hour day the other day, but I've also seen film journalists get on, get what they need, and bugger off. What, what are you like? Uh, very much the former. I've done a second day on a set visit, kind of somewhat uninvited. I just didn't feel I got enough the first day. I remember when I was on the set of Priest. Remember the Paul Bettany film? I remember that. Uh, I think everyone. Yeah. everyone yeah. Good All the other journalists buggered off at lunchtime and I was there at about nine o'clock at night because I just wanted my hot priest action. That was very exciting. <laughs> that wasn't meant to sound as sexual as it hot did. Hot priests in your uh, area. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Loving the hot priests. However, I did fall asleep on the set of 2012, so, you know, did it all balances you? out. Did you? It know? was very cold. I had a big parker, which was very warm, yeah. and I kind of curled up on one of the chairs and just fell asleep. Night shoots are, are not fun. Night yeah. shoots are not fun. It was yeah. soon after my interview with John Cusack. I'm not saying it's connected to that. I'm simply juxtaposing those two things. Hmm. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, ever filmed a movie and then put it on YouTube? No. Okay, what, from, good. <laughs> just checking. From the set. Just checking. Have you ever <laughs> stolen anything from a film set? Define stole. Well, no, not stole. <laughs> like any props and stuff that you were uh, like. I, let's say, let's say, uh, unofficially given by, say, a member of the crew. I'm not saying helped yourself to souvenirs, but have you ever? I, I walked off the set of Hostel Part Two wearing my costume. But you walked on wearing your costume. No, didn't I didn't. You? That was given to me by oh, the really? by the costume department. So, I, in case people don't know, I appear briefly. I'm even credited incredibly in Eli Roth's Hostel Part Two. I play drunk British slob. And you can see me in a train sequence uh, and on the blooper reel as well. Was the and, drunk part a stretch? Uh, the drunk part was a stretch. The Britishness I nailed and the slobbishness absolutely bang on. But the, uh, yeah, as someone who's only ever sipped an alcohol, yeah, it was a big one for me. But um, they gave me a costume. And then at the end of the day, I just kind of 
I liked it. So I walked off set with it, <laughs> which I hear you shouldn't do. But no. They were my clothes now, as far as I was concerned. And then I've never fancy dressed before, but we had a fancy dress party at Nick's house a few months later. <laughs> oh, no. And so I went as Drunk British Love from Hostel Part 2 because oh, I basically had a costume around. And you know what, guys? That was the best costume that night. I mean, because it was so spot on. It was, I mean, it was spot on, certainly, but you know. So I stole yeah. that. I don't think I've really taken anything or been given anything. Maybe bits of confetti, things like that, that were just like, ah, oh, I know where this came from, even if no one else uh, in the world yes. will know that this small piece of paper was once in a thing. I have a bullet Thank casing you. from Avatar. Oh, that's cool. They had, uh, but the bullet casing, instead of being round, they're uh, rectangular. Of course Because the theory was that they would be much more efficient. They would stack them. Yeah. You know, they would all be like squared off. So I have one of those. They let me fire the gun and they just came flying out the side and it was just all over your clothing, in your hood, all over it. I got back to my hotel and I'm like, oh, look, this is in my hood. I'm keeping that. That seems reasonable. Weirdly enough, that actually may feed into one of the questions we've been sent in by people because I forgot to get a question for this week's podcast and I realised with three minutes ago before we recorded that I hadn't got a question. So I asked on Twitter for people to send me in questions. And one of the questions is from at Dave Medlow who asks, what's the coolest piece of film promotion or merchandise that you've managed to snaffle and keep what exclusive or weird item sits happily on your shelf? I still have some official Fear and Loathing Roach paper, for example, says Dave <laughs> Medlow. Not me. I think my coolest might be, I've got a Kubo and the Two Strings figure, which came in a box with a light in it. So when you open the box, the light goes on and there's a, a sort of um, bamboo paper sheet between you and the figure. So you get the, the shadow puppet effect. Mm. First, and then you nice. lift that up and you get the puppet itself. It's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous thing. Is it Kubo? It is Kubo, yeah. It's gorgeous. That's yeah. pretty good. Jimbo? I've got a few things. I've got a uh, at least a couple of Continental coins from John Wick. Oh, good. Two, not like from the film set, but like promotional ones that they did afterwards. I've got a Fargo ice scraper for cleaning the ice off my car. Nice. That's quite fun. Yeah, oh. useful things are good. Like I had a yeah. break-up ice cream scoop, <laughs> and that seemed appropriate. I had a, a Frisbee from the film Evolution. Do you remember that film? Yes, yeah, oh, yeah. Three-eyed yeah. little smiley face. Yeah, that sadly got lost. I tend to lose a lot of Frisbees. Not because of my errand throwing. I'm a demon. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Because of the errand throwing of others. Oh, I a... had an unbreakable backpack, unfortunately. It turned out it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's no longer with us. We, we carried the podcast equipment for a long time a long in an time. interstellar backpack. Yeah, we yeah. did. As well. I think we all at one point had dodgeballs from dodgeballs. Oh, yes. We had so many of them, didn't we? Oh, my God. I used to have an average Joe's top as well they sent oh, in some nice. tops that you could wear to the gym but then in a, in a, in a, <laughs> in a shock twist yeah, in a feat of irony went. that would impress even Alanis Morissette I grew too big for it <laughs> and couldn't wear it down to the gym I became a, a, a better than average Joe if yeah. you will but I don't, I, honestly I don't really snaffle or keep really really cool things The odd, I have the odd thing that's signed by people uh, mm. you know which I do very very rarely but yeah, you know, I've only yeah I've only been to San Francisco once, and that was for uh, a visit to Pixar. I want to say it was for Up, and Pete Doctor signed and then drew a little illustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's you think that's really, really cool, and then you realize he does it to everybody. But that's, yeah. that's fine. I have one. <laughs> Literally yeah. have one. Well, he came into the office that yeah. time. So that's, that's right. Great. And He drew them for all of us. Yeah. Well, we have we we have a lock of Spike yes, Jones's hair, don't we? Do. I have a lock of Spike Jones's hair. Do you, so. I don't think you have it though, do you? Yes, I do. Oh, you did take it. Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah, because it was on the wall in the office for ages, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> it, it occurs to me some explanation may be needed. Um, but Spike Jones came in to do a web chat with the director of uh, which one was it? Jackass Three. I mean, it's possible. Je- Jeff Tremaine is Jeff Tremaine, yeah. yeah. And um, Jeff Tremaine obviously was a little bit bored at some point, so he picked up some scissors and he cut off a lock of Spike Jones's hair. So jackass. 
and he sellotaped it to my desk. And I sort of said at the end of the interview, well, we can't leave that there, can we? And so Spike Jones then sellotaped it to a piece of paper and sort of said, you know, to Helen for whenever you want to clone me and signed it. So I have his written permission to clone him, which I don't, I think, I don't is, think the follicles were there, Helen. I, I think you sh- have a problem. Sh- <laughs> Helen, the science need, is flawed. We I'm just sorry. need to develop cloning a, science a little further. We'll be fine. I have fine. a file of his blood. Well, that, that'll probably work too. <laughs> don't ask how I got it, but I got it. So I think we're halfway there. We right? are so close. Yeah, I think we. I think that's it for like the questions. Yeah. There are loads of other questions, but thank you to Dave Medlow for sending in the one that we chewed around a little bit. And if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, and you can get in touch via a number of methods, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine, or just wait for me to tweet out in a panic and then just reply to that. I use the hashtag Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see it. We're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.co. M. All right, should we talk about some movie news? Yes. Excellent, let's do that. What is happening with the movie news? Well, I mean, really crushingly disappointed, Avengers Endgame saw a massive decline in its uh, box <laughs> oh, office tickets. Huge. It's absolutely bombed now, which no one really saw saw happening. So they've, yeah. they've you know... It's, they've they've uh, stopped it. They've yeah. stopped showing the movie They've stopped showing the movie. It's been a crushing, yeah. crushing failure. Helena, have you seen it again? I haven't, no, but I'm planning to go again soon. I am. Because I they go. need more of your monies. I'm planning yes. to go this weekend because I keep thinking about a certain moment and uh-huh. I keep wanting to experience that moment again on the big screen. That's fair. That's fair. Um, speaking of um, the sex Marvel, scene. though. I'm thinking mainly about the sex scene. The sex scene? The sex scene. The really graphic, explicit the graphic, sex scene. full frontal, absolutely no holds barred. Calling. What's happening? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, I'm was that of a different in your film. head? <laughs> I'm thinking of a different film. Move on. Okay. Um, should we, though... Get into that a little bit and talk about the new slate of yes, Disney and Marvel films. That was very exciting. And apparently, they're going to be revealing the the, pro, the Phase Four lineup uh, this summer. Of what the I mean, we can guess what the films are, can't we? We pretty much know. We we think we we do. think we know. We could be wildly wrong, mm. but I th- I think we do. Go on, then, Helen. Hit us with the what, slate. Like, no, we, not what they are. Let's, but let's, like, let's, yeah, let's, let's put a bit of context here yeah. first, shall we? So this week, uh, Disney announced a whole ton of stuff, a whole ton of release dates leading all the way up to 2027. I don't even know if I'm going to be alive in 2027, but if if I am and if we are, we can certainly Mm. plan to go see Avatar 5 because it's been pushed back. So there was a whole lot of stuff to take away from this release date. I mean, literally, almost every single Disney movie for the next three years certainly was given a date and then Mm -hmm. they moved some of the Avatar movies. So big takeaways are Avatar sequels all got pushed back. Avatar 2 got pushed back by a year. Avatar 3, 4, and 5 also got pushed back as well. Yeah, so they'll be 2021, mm-hmm. 23, mm-hmm. 25, 27. And 27. The Star Wars rollout was confirmed. Yes. There's going to be a three-year break after Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. And then after that, we're going to see a film every other year. So they clearly have learned from the solo debacle. Mm-hmm. But we're unclear. When we see... Yeah, after three years, what we see next, will it be the Benioff and Vice one? Will it be Ryan Johnson? Who knows? Will it be something else entirely? Will it be something else entirely? That but seems people, unlikely. But... People were speculating gleefully as well, some people on Twitter I saw, that the Avatar sequels might be in trouble because of this pushback. But if you look at it, Disney basically just owning Christmas for the next six Ever. or seven years yeah. because the reason they push the Avatar films back is so they don't cannibalize themselves the Star Wars movies yeah. are coming out in December 2022 24 and 26 so by pushing Avatar 3, 4 and 5 back to 23, 25 and 27 mm. Christmas but, is now is now owned by Disney all our turkeys belong to Walt 
But this is this is a part of the the Disney Fox takeover that I think I hadn't really thought through, and that's that they're not going to want to run scared of their own films, no. so they're not going to want to compete with themselves. So that does mean you're going to see some of the big titles thinning out in areas because Disney seem to own all of them, yeah, which is not ideal for cinema goers. Well, it's maybe not bad actually. It means that you're not rushing to see this one thing before the next one comes in and knocks it off all the good screens. You know, you have a little bit more time potentially with the Avatars and the Star Wars. It also makes perfect sense to me that you don't want Star Wars and Avatar in particular, the two yeah. big sort of space yeah. operas competing with yeah. each other. I think that's sensible. But even like even two years ago, they were, they were competing with themselves. I remember, for mm. example, Pirates 5 coming out just a few weeks after Guardians 2. And even though yeah. obviously Meet Pirates Five didn't do that well at the box office, they weren't to know that initially when they when they dated those films. They just so sometimes that will happen. And you know, it obviously will, there's yeah. so many Disney films yeah. that they can't help but have maybe not clashes, nothing's opening in the same day, but there will be films that open within two weeks of each other. Yeah, there are. And I I think, though, that that is um, less of a thing if they're slightly different audiences. I think they probably thought that Pirates and Guardians were slightly different audiences. Guardians is a lot hipper, and Pirates is, let's face it, a bit creaky at that point. I think it's also, there's a lot of untitled films in here, and they're just called Disney live action. Now, people were obviously worried that Disney are going to remake every single animation they've ever done. I would point out that I hope that that's wrong. I think that live action is a term and Disney is a term and they don't necessarily add up to a live action, in quotes, remake of a Mm. Disney animation. These just mean they're not animated Disney films. They're films coming from Disney that are not animated. Several of those may well be Marvel's. A couple of those could maybe even be Star Wars. We might not have a full three-year gap. We don't know. It's a movable feast. It's untitled for a reason is mm. what I'm saying. And I think that they're they're holding some stuff back from us there. And I don't think those can all be animated films remade. Hopefully as well by, by absorbing Fox, they'll be taking on some of the, the movies that were in development at Fox. Mm-hmm. And those films may not then be Fox properties going forward. So, But maybe... They will be released under the Disney umbrella, uh, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been announced yet that will oh, yeah. find its way under the schedules. For example, if you take this at face value, there's not a single Fox X-Men or Fantastic Four related movie that's been dated for the next three or four that years. That makes sense. Though, doesn't I it? don't think that's going to happen. They're not going to leave Deadpool off. Off. I think Deadpool becomes his own thing, though. Deadpool mm. just becomes Deadpool, and then the X-Men stuff is, I think, retired as of. But you still have Dark an opportunity Phoenix. here to date it because they they've taken this opportunity to move. The New Mutants back again. So The New Mutants now is opening in April of 2020. Yeah. And they've cancelled Gambit. We know that much yeah. is, is, yeah. is going to happen. It surprises me that they're actually going ahead with New Mutants, actually. I really didn't think they were well, going to. What options do they have? They have the, 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 one of the options is that they pull a hippie, hippie shake and they just don't release the movie yeah. and it just never gets out. And if you believe everything you've heard, actually, they've destroyed the negative. Um, <laughs> and number two... They reshoot it at a huge cost and they mm. stick it back out again next year, uh, by which point, you know, all the cast members will now be the old mutants. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> old joke. But there you go. And uh, number three is they just stick it onto Hulu or they just kind of release yeah. it quietly in the middle of the night and yeah. hope no one notices. Which, I mean, they've still got a bit of time to decide whether that's what they're going for, to be perfectly mm. honest. So, you know, we can't it all depends on what they're planning to do with the MCU slate. So they've talked about what they're doing with this. So we're not going to yeah. see another one after Spider-Man Far From Home. We're not going to see another one until May next year. In theory, certainly. In theory. Yeah. But then, and, and you think, oh, that's quite a long time. But then you think about, well, what's it going to be? Is it Eternals? Is it Black Widow? What 
will it be? Well, and that's from, actually quite close. Yeah, from it? shooting schedules, you'd assume Black Widow, actually. But yeah. in terms of the X-Men, I'm not sure what they gain from announcing that. Because I feel like if they announce an X-Men film for 2022, people lose their freaking minds over that and potentially get distracted from all the stuff they've got yeah, coming up in the meantime. So I'm not sure that they actually gain that much from specifically saying we are going to get to the X-Men at this point. Yeah, I think they'll want to build that up in a couple of films first. It feels to me like, so you it, let's say you get Black Widow in May, then you, the second one you get in 2020 would be Eternals. And then the year after that, what, Strange 2, Panther 2, Shang-Chi? That feels like a long time to wait for Panther. Going from what we know about where they are with certain films, the fact that there's only two films slated for next year surprises me. It Mm -hmm. really does. uh, Because I don't think either of those films is going to make a billion dollars or even close to it. Mm. So... Because they're going to be coming off a year where they've, you know, obviously talking about box office is vulgar and gross and we shouldn't do it. And, and film is about art, and not commerce. But <laughs> we, it is also a big part of it as well. So say Endgame does beat Avatar. Say Endgame ends up at $3 billion at the box office. $3 billion at the box office this year. And they followed up next year with Black Widow, which is going to be a, a smaller film. Much smaller, yeah. Which will probably, you know, I can't see that making a billion dollars. It might make no. 500 million. Who knows? Mm. It might not make anywhere close to that. It might yeah. be a smaller film that they just, re- you know, release in uh, art house theaters. <laughs> you can ah. imagine. Just New York and Los Angeles. And that's it. Four theaters. It's, then it's literally got a just ballet Oscar dancing. qualifying run. That's all it is. <laughs> it's literally just ballet. There isn't a single assassination in the whole Not a film. single one. No. Not a single one. Not one. Very disappointing. And then they have the Eternals, which is a bit of an unknown quantity. And you can mm. say Guardians. A lot Guardians of an unknown quantity. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy made 800 million, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I don't see either of those breaking the billion dollar barrier. So I think they have another one up their sleeve that is kind of the banker, if you will, which is I think that a Black Panther 2 or a Doctor Strange 2 or even a Captain Marvel 2 or even, spoiler alert, The Magical Adventures of Steve Rogers through time uh, gets, you know, gets announced, shot and released. I think there's something else up to see. But looking at it, so Black Widow, we know, has a cast. It has a director. Yeah. It has all sorts of people ready to rock and roll. It will start in June. And presumably not going to be that special effects heavy. So that mm. presumably would be one of the ones out next year, maybe yeah. in February. And then The Eternals is also casting up pretty aggressively right now. So that's going to start shooting this year. We know Guardians 3 will start shooting next year. We know that Doctor Strange 2 and Black Panther 2 are at the scripting stage. We know that they're trying to also aggressively pursue Shang-Chi as well. They have, they've got a director and a, and a writer in fairly short order uh, with that one. So if I were a betting man, yeah. I'd go next year's Eternals and Black Widow. 2021 will be Strange, Doctor Strange Panther. 2, Black Panther 2 Shang-Chi. and Shang-Chi. Yeah. And 2022 Marvel. will be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, maybe Captain Marvel yeah. 2, and maybe another Spider-Man. I feel around that time, you've got to be thinking, you know... You've got to be building back up. You've got to be thinking, building back up, will that be X-Men? Is that what they're going to do next? Is that going to be their next I I don't know. I think we're missing something here. I don't think we have all the pieces of the puzzle. That doesn't seem... I mean, Eternals and Black Widow, that's not a strong lineup for next year. Unless they're almost, it's almost like Glastonbury, they're having a fallow year. <laughs> you know, they're, they're letting the grass hey. grow like, back. Got, you know, like, okay, so Glastonbury this year, you know, you've got... Lizzo and Janelle Monet as the kind of like cool outsider. I've heard know, of both of those. In. Yeah, they're amazing. But you also have, you know, the Kylie's and stuff. You've got the bigger names as well. But true. But if you look at, for example, uh, <laughs> if you look at 2012, so the Avengers comes out and then there's a full year until Iron Man 3. And there's nothing else between Avengers and Iron yeah, Man true. 3. So maybe they're doing that as well this year. So maybe when maybe. Spider-Man Far From Home comes out, and then everyone is just... At that point, maybe thinking, you know what? Actually, it would be good to take a little break 
for eight months or so from the absolute madness, mm -hmm. this feeling of things coming to an end before we, we start ramping it back give, up again. Give us a chance to miss them is what you're saying. Yeah. But like you followed, so I, you followed Avengers with Iron Man 3, you know? I mean... If Black Widow's a prequel... Yeah, but they didn't know what Avengers was going to do. So they wanted a banker, right? So they, they must have known going into Endgame it was going to do pretty well. Quite okay. So that yeah. they're, they're now confident to the point Maybe. where they can go, you know what, we can we can, we can can have a punt in the Black Widow solo movie and we'll figure out people will, will turn up that in droves, even if it's a smaller film, which I expect it to be. And Eternals, we can have a bit of a gamble. I But listen, I think there will be a third thing. I think they will drop something else. Is, yeah. in there. Even if it's just Kevin Feige filming himself... <laughs> You know, doing dub smashes. Then, <laughs> oh my god! As long as it gets Haley Atwell along, I'm totally. Oh there my for god, it. she's just the best. She's so good she? at those. She's oh. just the best. What's a dub smash? A dub smash is it's an app you can get on your mobile telephone, and I thought it was um, a dance move. And it has clips from movies and and clips from songs that you can then lip sync along to, so you can film yourself doing this. And I tried it precisely once and went horribly wrong, and I never did it again. This doesn't sound like something. But Haley Atwell is like the master of the form. The master. She's incredible. She did a series of double smashes from the set of Agent Carter, and one of them was just incredible, where it was her and James Darcy. In fact, it was from the set of a Cap movie, and they're, they're singing along to Another One Bites the Dust, and there's a third person who's hiding just out of shot, and then at the end of the video, the <gasps> third person pops up, and it's Chris Bloody Evans, ah. not that one, as Captain... Um, What's his name? Steve Rogers, and they uh, and they they. She said in the caption that <laughs> Captain she and Steve James, America Rogers. yeah, Captain Steve America Rogers, and that she and James Darcy flew uh, to Atlanta just to do that dub smash, and then flew back again. Wow, air yeah. miles! Uh, not air miles. What am I talking about? Uh, carbon footprint. That's the one. Oh. Good air miles, bad oh. carbon footprint. Listen, even as we're slowly struggling to keep our head above water, <laughs> twenty years from now. If it's all down to Hayley Atwell and that dub smash, yeah. it will have been worth That's it. That's it. Hayley, you just created Waterworld. Well done. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was some other Disney release date Cypher. stuff, wasn't there? Yeah, Charlize Theron's character, her villain in uh, Fast and Furious 8, Cypher, is apparently getting her own film. It should be in Redcon, a la Deckard Shaw. What, to be made into a non-villain? Yes. It's possible. Or a goodie, <gasps> as we a goodie. call them. She may yes. be a goodie. It is unclear at this point. Let baddies be baddies, damn yes. it. Um, there was other news, though, of course. I mean, lots of it, actually. Well, Richard Madden's been cast in The Eternals, or at least is in talks, is in talks to be cast yeah. in The Eternals, Intr which uh, we, we talked about. Presumably so. on, the, on the strength of his amazing hair at the Met Ball. Uh, I'm intrigued by new comedy. Uh, Chris Hemsworth will apparently be star yes. starring uh, with Tiffany I Haddish. I, too, am intrigued by this new comedy. <laughs> it's called Down Undercover, and apparently he has to go <laughs> undercover. I cannot believe this is a genuine <laughs> movie. In a group of male strippers. So I'm assuming it's basically Miss Congeniality meets mm -hmm. Magic Mike. And I don't understand why we as a civilization have taken so long to get to this, this point. This feels a lot like what happens if someone asks Helen to write a screenplay. <laughs> hey! All of my screenplays have people with their clothes on. Not yeah. that all, 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 he just needs to be joined by Jared Ackles and Jensen Padalecki and then we're in business, aren't Look, we, Helen? You have actually seen the show. <laughs> this is the thing. He can make that joke because yeah. he comes from a place of total ignorance. And you're right, Helen, I do actually know that. Helen is an artist. Her spec script, which I've read, is fantastic. It's called Chris <laughs> Evans stares at the camera for 90 minutes whilst rubbing an ice cube over his nipples. <laughs> and it's a lot deeper than it's, it sounds. It's an art house piece. <laughs> it's an art house yeah. piece, yeah. 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 It's only four pages long, the script, but... It's really good. There's a lot of detail in there. But in that time, she loved her lifetime's worth. <laughs> this sounds like a made-up movie. You know when know. Chris Hemsworth a couple of years ago uh, and a bunch of other Australian luminaries 
so bouncer from neighbors and that yeah. Brilia, people people like Joe Mangle and people like that they all did this advertising campaign for Australia which is you know come to come to Australia and we've got a lot of Australian listeners and they were basically trying to accentuate the positives of Australia rather than the negatives which is as the 10 deadliest land snakes in the world oh there's all sorts of things that can kill you and of course the guy from Wolf Creek as well so if they don't get you the guy from Wolf Creek will get you but remember that advertising campaign that was a sequel to Crocodile Dundee where yes. Danny McBride yes. went to Australia. Everyone thought it was an actual sequel to Crocodile mm. Dundee. And then for a while, there was a terrifying prospect that they might turn it into an actual sequel to Crocodile Dundee. And it had Hugh Jackman in it. It had Chris Hemsworth as Mick Dundee's son. Kylie was in it, for God's sake. All sorts of people were in it. And this sounds like they rejected the Crocodile Dundee idea and they went, let's go for this. So Hemsworth can play Australian and get his abs out and... I'm excited by the prospect of him and Tiffany Haddish improvising their little hearts out. Yeah. But at the same time, it I mean, it's doesn't super sound ridiculous. good, does it? But No, it sounds amazing. Are it you sounds, me? that's right. Every day is Christmas Eve. That's right. Um, there is news of a cliffhanger reboot. And the news is that um, <laughs> Anna Lily Amirpur, who wrote, uh, wrote and directed A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which mm-hmm. is fucking fantastic, is apparently in line to direct it, which is really exciting. And then rumour is that Jason Momoa might be starring in it for her. Cameo. Cameo. It's going to be a female lead. It's going to focus on a female lead. And so, so a, br- a brief glimpse of Momo's nipples and then we're out. The scuttlebutt. So and, he could be the one I'm, dropped at the beginning. I'm guessing that he's the one who gets a bit, um, how should we say, splattered. I mean, that's ironic because like, he actually posts a bunch of climbing videos. And it's ironic because he's the size of a mountain. So mm. how can he fall yeah. off one? He would um, just kind even of a bigger mountain? Step, step down. off the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that I is don't know confusing. how that's going to work. Anyway, so that's the thing that's happening. Um, and let's hear, hope it all goes super, super well. Uh, let's hear it for the girls. Y- yes. Wow, you're so woke. <laughs> you? uh, no, I'm very, I'm very excited about this and uh, see how this one will go. And I'm also tentatively excited mm-hmm. about the return of Pinhead right. because this week a Hellraiser reboot was announced and the reason I'm tentatively excited about it is because David S. Goyer is behind it. He's done great things. He's done great things. Is it called Hellraiser colon Cenobite Me? It is not, James, no. That's a, that's a shame. See, they missed a trick. They uh, have missed a trick. That would have been an excellent subtitle. They have missed a trick. Yeah. Uh, but David S. Goyer, you know, he wrote Blade and for that he shall ever be Forever be in the pantheon. He shall ever be a motherfucker trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> yeah. Some motherfuckers are always trying to play Scrabble in the dark. And David S. Goyer is one of those. And I'm excited about this because the Hellraiser franchise, frankly, dived off a cliff. They watched the first three and then the other ones are just What's the one in New York terrible. where one of the Cenobites is like a DJ who shoots vinyl out of his mouth? That's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. That's extraordinary. Directed by That's Anthony That's got Terry Peacocks. Farrell in it. It does have Terry Farrell mm. in it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the last good one. And the rest are varying degrees of shit. They are horrible on a level that not that many mainstream films are. Like really but they weren't mainstream deeply, films. profoundly unpleasant. The first... But they weren't video nasties either. Like they no. were they well, were based on like known properties. Like they were they well, were main, more mainstream than the usual Drek at Blockbuster. And then the first Hellraiser is quite a low budget, very, very nasty, very, very, very nasty. scuzzy film, uh, Clive Parker's directorial debut. And based on the Hellbound Heart, his novella. But it introduced this character called Pinhead, who's barely in the film, but is one of the iconic yeah. horror baddies, largely played by Doug Bradley. And I'm really intrigued to see what they might do with that. But Clive Barker doesn't seem to be involved with this, which is a shame because mm. a couple of years ago he brought out a, a, a novel 
which purported, and maybe this is why he's not involved, but purported to put a pin once and for all in uh-huh. Pinhead. It's called The Scarlet Gospels. And uh, it's really, really good. And uh, if you haven't read it, check it out. But yeah, fingers fingers crossed for this one. Goyer, like I say, he wrote Batman Begins, he wrote Blade, and he's done some really, really great stuff over the years. But he's also done some spotty stuff, I think it's fair to say. And it depends which David S. Goyer we get. Mm, that's true. Um, yeah, one for fans of Damien Chazelle. Of course, I'm high among their number. But the La La Land director is doing a Netflix TV series. Um, he's got Andre Holland already lined up to star. And now Amanda Stenberg has stepped aboard. Cool. So she plays a sort of um, estranged daughter of Holland's character. He's a jazz pianist who moved to Paris and owns a jazz club that's failing. Because you know what, Damien? Nobody likes jazz. Jesus. He does have a thing about jazz, doesn't he? Really? You've just noticed? What's wrong with jazz? It's fine, but like nobody likes it. I like That's it. not true. I like I it. I mean, I don't listen to it, but I like it. Right, but you like that it exists. Yeah. You're not What's going your to go jazz to a jazz club. Oh, that bit's amazing. Love that. It's Miles Davis, right? Yeah, it's good. That was good. Good. Um, so, yeah, Chazelle's in charge of it. Jack Thorne wrote the script, and hopefully it'll be good. Amanda Stenberg is great, but she was fantastic in uh, The Hate You Give. If you haven't seen that, I, sh- I highly recommend checking it out. Highly recommend cool I'm Roland Emmerich trying to kill the world again yay is this a, is this a, is this a I was about to say is this a euphemism for more Shakespeare truth Helen truth <laughs> more Shakespeare truthing I will yes. cut you it's a controversial no. movie in which he claims that Alan Bennett never wrote any of those TV plays <laughs> no uh, it's this is uh, he's started to write a film called Moonfall in which the moon becomes <laughs> untethered from its gravity um, or whatever is holding it in place. I think it's uh, blue tack at the moment. And it, uh, then we'll, it's heading towards Earth, hurtling fairly slowly, you'd imagine. <laughs> given that fairly it's quite close. Given it's like 265,000 miles away, give or take. Uh, and then it documents what will happen when a, a, a group of heroic misfits come together to try and stop it from happening. So it sounds like Armageddon, sounds like 2012, sounds like every film you've ever seen, but it's got the moon potentially smashing into the earth, which would be bad. It would be bad. <laughs> wow, taking a firm stand there, Chris, against, <laughs> against moon smashing. Call me Mr. Controversial. Perhaps I should launch the Do Not Let the Moon Smash Into the Earth party and then Question Time would have me on next week. <laughs> that's a good idea. Because apparently that's how you get on the Question Time. You, yep. just, you just create a political party and then they ask you on. So mm. maybe I'll do that. They're good like that. Yeah. yeah. That seems like a, an entirely sensible position. Yeah. No? Should we talk about Spider-Man? No, let's talk more about the moon. Because <laughs> what would you happen? Know? What would right. happen if the moon smashed into the earth? I mean, um, it would be extremely bad for human life. The moon technically started off, I believe I'm right in saying, as part of the earth and then was kind of knocked out of... Yeah, no, I, I had heard that. Yeah. That, uh, so know. really it's a homecoming of sorts for the moon to Is this a segue into Spider-Man? I thought it was. <laughs> moon, far from home. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So we saw the trailer. Yeah, we did. I was far from home. And Gavin Feige once again had pulled a big old trailer switcheroo on us. Uh, with the first one being thoroughly misleading and completely understand why, and this one opens the doors to everything, doesn't it? So how it, is it misleading? Though? Well, because like they had the fury sequence, being saying like it's nice to finally meet you, and it lay it, oh, there was a layer of ambiguity about when it was set, as we were discussing uh, during the live spoiler Indeed, special. Yes, podcast. Um, but no, this this firmly anchors it in the post Endgame world via the medium of uh, massive spoilers. So massive spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't seen, if you're one of the three people on the planet who haven't seen. Avengers Endgame at this point then skip ahead about three or four minutes uh, yeah. I'd say and um, and then come back after that because we're going to be discussing it because it definitely takes place post Endgame it takes place post the death of Tony Stark 
And it sees Peter Parker pining for the fjords. It sees him pining for Tony and uh, struggling to, to move on with life. And the world is struggling to move on as well. Yeah. Yeah, because as we discussed, you know, nothing would make any sense and there wouldn't be enough food and people would have no homes to go to. And yeah, you're absolutely chaos. right, Helen. As Helen has, has established, you know, we, we're now in a Marvel world where there are just not enough resources and, and, and too many people. And if only no. there was some kind of solution <laughs> no, no. to that predicament that, you know. Get thee gone, you Shakespeare-denying <laughs> Thanos. But in all seriousness, I think post-Endgame, which while amazing was like a bit of a tearjerker, this feels like a real kind of palate cleanser. Like it feels loads of fun. It feels like a romp. It feels really funny. Yeah. I think there will certainly be bittersweet stuff in it very much at the beginning. Yeah. You know, the, the sort of the bleed through the aftermath of, of Endgame. But this, I had loads of fun with this with this trailer. I think mm. I'm really looking forward to this. So it's got it's got people really excited because it has uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character Mysterio yeah. basically talking. Well, he doesn't say the words, but it's basically coming from his information. Apparently, multiverse. Yes, so he's he from comes a from a different different Earth. Earth. Mm. Now, question number one. Can we believe him? Question number two, is he Mysterio we know? Is he like a goody Mysterio from another world? Ooh, who knows? Question number three, what is going on? There's even <laughs> been, I even read a suggestion online that, that Nick Fury and Maria Hill are figments of his illusions. So what exactly in this trailer can we trust? Even aside from the usual Marvel shenanigans, we also potentially have Mysterio shenanigans going on. So a lot of this could be a complete mislead. So if you're worried mm. that they've given too much away in the trailer, I feel like we can trust that these mm. tricksy motherfuckers mm. have not done so. Yeah. Don't believe a word anyone says. Ever. About anything. <laughs> and you'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky one, this. Because I also feel that they've made a rod for their own back a little bit with that incredible twist in Spider-Man Homecoming. So I think by making Mysterio a good guy, people are already expecting the twist that he's a bad guy. But that's too obvious, right? Mm. Mm. So, I I don't know. So unless he's a good guy Mysterio from another universe, but he's fighting a bad guy Mysterio from our universe. But I'm not even sure that the multiverse thing is is real. It could not. It could be not. So I don't even know. Because they posit that the the walls between realities were weakened by the snap. And that's how he got through. Well, there are three snaps. Yeah. Four, actually, if you consider the one that that Thanos uses to destroy the stones. Told you about spoilers for Endgame. Um, (laughs) There are three snaps. So Thanos is one to take away half the people. Bruce is one to take everyone back. Spoiler. And then the one at the end where Tony yeah. dusts Thanos. Fuck, snap. No, listen, this is we've somehow this is our new spoiler special. <laughs> <laughs> so those three snaps alone would right, you four, would imagine weaken the fabric of Space something. Yeah. yeah. Right. So reality. maybe, maybe. Well, I mean, remember what the ancient one said: "What you perceive as reality is created by the stones." So. Oh yeah, it's right. How did you not see that coming? I'm playing reality. <laughs> oh, Mick, yeah, it's terrific, isn't it? Uh. <sighs> you can't always get what you want, Helen. <laughs> if you try, sometimes though, get what you need. I hope. So anyway, that covered. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. I enjoyed the trailer. I've only seen it once, uh, and uh, I'm excited about this movie. Mm. But don't believe a word they say. Be- oh, and also the Mary Jane um, thing. Sorry, Michelle, not not Mary Jane. Yeah. I reckon she's known all along. She even said in the last film that she watches. You know, she yeah. she notices things. I lo- that was that was my favorite bit in the trailer. Yeah. I love that. She's like, "You're Spider Man." Like, it's kind of obvious. <laughs> but even there, since she fucking with him, that's what she does. Yeah, and that's also, all she does. Is she, or she real, or is that also an illusion? What can we trust? Oh my god. 
<laughs> anyway, Who some knows? people said they didn't like that, and I just really did, so I wanted to mention it. So that's the end of this impromptu Avengers Endgame spoiler special slash review of the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. Um, should we go back to news? I think we're done with news. We're, yeah, done, with news? we're done with news. We've yeah. been talking about it for about a month, so I think we can. We're done with news. We can move on to an interview. Do we have an interview? Do we have a guest? We do have a guest. Who is it? The guest is legendary French director. You know, for people who say that we're all about the Avengers and we're all about the mainstream movies and we're all about movies set in space with a sci-fi element and big names like Robert Pattinson in your face, because this week our guest is legendary French director Claire Denis here to talk about her new movie High Life which is set in space and stars Robert Pattinson. Well, that'll show those guys. Yeah. Ah. Well done, Chris. Anyway, she's brilliant. And she's a director uh, of movies like Botrify and Let the Sun Shine In. And now this week's High Life, which stars Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche. And we sent along our very own fearless leader, Terry White, to have an audience with her today, as a matter of fact. And I went along to make sure it all sounded okay and pressed the buttons in the right order, all that sort of stuff. And I was treated to an audience between Terry and one of the greatest filmmakers on the planet in which the word fuckbox was said <laughs> a lot more than I had assumed going in. If you'd, if you'd said, how many times do you think the word fuckbox would be said in this interview? With I would Claire Denis. With Claire Denis, I would have said zero. Yeah. But it was about 12. <laughs> I approve of this interview already and I haven't heard it. So here you go. It is Claire Denis talking to Terry White. Please do, as they say in France, enjoy. Claire Denis, hello. Welcome to the Empire podcast. We are here to talk about high life. So we have you first for breakfast. Yeah, I, I had breakfast a little earlier. Okay. I didn't want to get crumbs in my teeth. Spit them on me. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it'll just be a normal podcast interview. Egg yolk on my T-shirt. <laughs> So, let's talk about High Life. How would you characterise this film? Because it's not really sci-fi, is it? It's hard to say it's this, it's not that, you know. Whatever I made that film, I knew it takes place in the space because I wanted a place where there is no return, where solitude has a meaning, I don't know, it, it became a story like that, but to say it's a sci-fi story, it's an adventure that um, give a futuristic idea of what could be the conquest of humanity, this is not me. Mm. Me, I am a quiet person. I don't want any conquest anywhere. And... Therefore, I imagine exactly the opposite. So for me, everything I use to express the um, gravity in, in, inside the, the spaceship, artificial gravity, I, I learned that it exists at a certain speed and that if you have to stay a long time out of atmosphere, like we have on the Earth, you cannot survive if you don't have gravity because then your body crumbles, mm. you know? And this is thing I learned, but it's not futuristic. It's people, they know that already when they send cosmonauts in the space station, they know that 
more than two months, maximum three months, then there is a risk of losing sight of um, leukemia and losing muscles and their bones. So I use all these things that everybody knows, you know. Mm. I'm not a scientist. The only futuristic thing is they are able to leave the solar system mm. with a propulsion that is uh, massive enough to give them a gravity, you know. And is it, if we go back a little bit to the origin of the story, is it right that it was inspired at least in part by Death Row, a real story about Death Row prisoners and the cost of keeping them? No, it was inspired by... It was inspired by an actor I was working with. That's the very beginning. Mm. He, he, he told me, oh, I, I would like to do a film alone with you. No other actresses, no other actor. Let's be alone. And I said, yeah, let's have a story in space. You are alone in space, the last man, you know, in space. And he looked at me and he said, maybe with a young girl. <laughs> <laughs> That was, it's a joke, but that was really the beginning of it. And then... That wasn't Robert, though. No, no, no. It was maybe 12 years ago or something. And then one day, I probably the same period, I was traveling across Texas driving, and I, I read one morning in a newspaper that in that little city I was staying, there was nearby a penitentiary and with death rows and the people of this little town they, they complained they said it cost us we are poor mm. there is no oil in this part of Texas and we are poor and this death row cost a fortune send them elsewhere or let them be useful I, of course I could understand that, but then I thought, when you look at the history of humanity, very often people have been treated for experiences. I'm not speaking about the Nazi, even on smaller range, you know, like in slavery or even a lab did try to pay people to experience some treatment, you know. So I thought maybe that's a link for my story. And how did the story move on from there? Because it was a long time in the making the script. You worked with Jean-Paul, who's obviously your... My companion, yeah, a, a companion of script. It, the story went fast in French. <laughs> in French. It went fast. It was uh, the, the English producer who proposed the said, okay, now we have to translate it into English. And as we were looking for money and casting, it became obvious that simple story in English maybe needed a little bit more special effects stuff, you know. But we kept to our story, and suddenly I heard... Robert Pattison. I had in mind someone older, tired with life, tired to be in the death row. 
And suddenly Robert said to my producer and also to the casting director, if I could meet Claire, I think I, I, I would like her to know that I want to work with her. Maybe not this film, but I want to work with her. And I said, not on this film, of course, it's much too young, it's much too iconic, you know? How could I? I was afraid, you know? Because mm. he found you, really, because he'd wanted to work with you for years. Yeah, I was afraid. Why, why this young man, so smart, so good-looking, wants me, you know? And, and then I met him in L.A., and then he looked very sad. In fact, he was, I guess, he's a clever guy. He pretends he knew, of course, I know you don't want me, I know, but I still want to meet with you. So it was so sad, you know. I felt like, oh, no, of course, I want you, you know. And it was true, actually. I really felt for him. A lot. I, I was, I thought, I must be crazy not to want him. Did he woo you in that first meeting? No, on the opposite, he was like a very sad, lonely young man with absolutely no hope to please me, coming to this rendezvous as a duty, but so sure I, I would not like to work with him. He broke my heart immediately. And he was right, because my heart is still broken. I was not disappointed. And you were thinking potentially a 50-year-old man originally, right, for that role? 40-ish. 40-ish in the original. Yeah. So how did you change the character for, for Robert? I changed nothing. I was amazed. I thought... The character will change immediately with him. I don't have to change the script. He will transform everything. A guy who says, I choose chastity to protect myself when he's 45 and depressed, it's one thing. A very young man to say, I want the life of a monk to, to feel stronger, it's completely different, you know? It's like a mystical story, you know, like a knight of the Middle Age. And let's talk a little bit about Dr. Dibbs. So that was mm. originally, was that written for Patricia Arquette or had she just... No, I was written it? for no one. Mm-hmm. The script was written, translated, and I had her in mind all the time. And I, I was amazed because we met her in L.A. and she was the most terrific woman. We spoke about, because I told her there is a garden, and she says, oh, I love garden. You should come to my place. I'm gardening every day, and I grow my own vegetables. And and she's so beautiful, you know. I was like, I was hypnotized, you know. But then the film was delayed and delayed and delayed. And when I was told, you have to start shooting September 4th, Robert is free, but Patricia had to start the TV, a TV show. Mm. And then I said, okay, I'm not going to do the film. But then I realized Robert has been waiting three, four years, you know. I said, I was in Cannes with um, this film, uh, 
let the sunshine in. I was with Juliet. And I was crying in the bar. And she said, don't cry. Let's make that film. Mm. I will do, Dr. Dibbs. No problem. You will be pleased. Her performance is remarkable. As usual. She's so brave and happy to work. I mean, there is no... She never pulled a break, you know. That's great. Well, there's one scene in particular which we shan't ruin, but it's definitely a talking point and it's a solo scene. Can you talk a little bit about how you directed her in that in that scene, but also what you think audience? You mean in the fuck box? Yeah, Let's in the fuck the box. Word. Let's say <laughs> fuck box. <laughs> and it's not me. In my padding shack of it, the love machine. And when they start staple, the musicians say, Claire, please... We don't say love machine in English. <laughs> it's a fuck box. We, we bought that thing in, in, in a sex shop, you know. We did not invent this thing, you know. It exists. Mm. We bought it in Köln, in a f- sex shop, and we thought, well, and we put those black drape and light, and, and of course to lock the door, because that's the only place where they can be alone with intimacy everywhere else they are all together and then Stuart had already composed the music for the fuck box so we we play the music and play back so we knew the meaning of all that but Juliette Juliette was part of it you know in a way she also directed the scene you know mm. Let's talk a little bit about the sets. So it's a little bit rare for you in that it's a studio film, not on location. You talked about the garden already, the fuck box. Can you talk about your vision for the ship and how you kind of actualise that? As we were writing the script, the first thing I really imagine is a jail. And I thought in a jail, what you see first, it's the corridor. And then the jails are on the side. And I thought, this is going to be the shape. And I said, then, if this is the shape of the inside, let's keep it for outside. Because if you are out of the solar system, there is no air. You don't need to get any aerodynamic shape. Anything could fly, a table, whatever, if there is a propulsion. So let's keep it a box. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed that simplicity of a jail shape. And visiting the same place every day, and did that create almost a sense of isolation for the cast? For the crew too. Mm. But we were together. We were entering the place in the morning uh, with our artificial light, daylight, night light, red alert, blah, blah, blah. And, and then uh, what period of the story it is, pristine or non-pristine. And then, I mean, at night, it was winter, so when we had finished shooting, it was night outside. We were driving back to the hotel, and it was like we were together. And we thought we belonged 
to somewhere, nobody knows. So we were in the hotel drinking beers as if we were a sort of sect, you know, coming from a place nobody knew about. In that way, did the film come to life when you were... It was home. Yeah. A strange home, though. You've inspired many modern filmmakers. I'm thinking about Greta Gerwig and Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins has spoken at length about your impact, especially on Moonlight. Can you see your influence in their work? And is it kind of surreal in some respects to have such a real-world impact while you're still working? You mean I should stop working? Definitely not. I have reached the age of... (laughs) No, I was amazed. I was not expecting I had influence on anyone, you know. There is a sort of loneliness in making film. And just to imagine some sort of influence. I knew I was special. I was not like the other. I knew that. Maybe it was a drawback to be special, you know. I was not claiming I'm so special, you know. I mean, I thought I'm so special that who wants to be inspired by me, you know. But I knew there was something in my film, a sort of tenderness, sexiness, I knew that. It's always been in me. But I was not sure it would have an effect on anyone. Because you you were assistant director for the likes of Jacques Rivette, Jim Jarmusch, in the late 70s, early 80s. Did you know then when you were working for them that you were special and you would go on to make these incredible films? I knew. But... Number one, I was very insecure. I had no confidence. I was trusting them. I was working for them as if I was working for myself, you know. But on the other end, I knew I had to project something in me, outside of me, that fear of being a complete idiot or a complete mess. So I did my first film like a samurai. People thought I was a tank, but it was not that I was a tank. Inside it was very soft, you know. And after you made one, I did realize I've made this one, but I have to make, I have to go on. The fear is one thing, and my will is another thing. Of course, always I I was willing to do films, but I never felt I had any value. I really thought of myself like a piece of shit for a long time. I was not bad looking, I was okay, but I had absolutely no trust in myself. And do you still feel like that, or did that piece of shit yeah in a way yes does that fear still propel you on when it comes to filmmaking when it's a little bit too heavy (laughs) I feel really down and I know I had to push myself Um, I'm a very anxious person 
some people in my own family, in my own friend, they think not only I'm very strong, but I'm very funny. And if they knew me, it's strange, you know. Mm. Do you think that's just part of being a filmmaker or do you think that's the singular experience of being a woman? I think it's both. Mm. It's both. Yeah. And both in the best way of both because being a woman, I was also a great assistant and I share so much with the director I work with because they did trust me and also gave me a will to go over that fragility mm. that people suppose we women have. I think we're out of time, but you've made an extraordinary film. And thank you so much for joining us on the Empire podcast. I'm Claire happy Denis. you you like the film. Okay, so that was Claire Denis talking to Terry White. And now let's start the movie review section of the show with High Life. And look who has appeared beamed in via portal. There's a glittery, sparkly circle appearing in the corner of the room. <gasps> on your left. Ah! It's John Nugent. Ah! Anyway, John, High Life. High Life. Speak about it. It is the English language debut of Claire Denis, who I believe you just heard. And it is also, I think, the first sci-fi film she's ever made. It's a really interesting combination of art house and sci-fi. Sci-fi is usually sort of more, you know, studio, genre, Hollywood, blockbustery. This is much more thoughtful, introspective, intellectual, almost mm-hmm. philosophical uh, there's no action here. This is not um, James Cameron's Aliens. I'm furious. Sorry. This is this is uh, this is much more meditative and nightmarish and slightly traumatic. It's very weird film, um, uh, but but fascinating. Loads to get your teeth into, and ultimately satisfying. Mm. So, what to say about it? I don't know. Juliette Binoche plays a shaman of sperm. What um, now with the who? Yes, okay. that, that is actually what one of the characters calls her, a shaman of sperm. So, yeah, we're, we're on a spaceship. Yeah, and yep. Robert we're Pattinson... Not, we're, in, we're in the studio. <laughs> I'm imagine. Sa- I'm, I'm, imagine we're oh. on a spaceship. Okay. Uh, Robert Pattinson is on the spaceship. He has a small child with him. We don't know whose child this is or why, why they're on the spaceship. It emerges he is one of many prisoners who have been sent to space for experiments they had the option of either going to prison or being sent to space. Oh. And so they went to space. You go to space. It's a lot more fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. You I, would think. I and guess, then they get attacked I by guess. aliens. No. No, no, no aliens in this I film. should point out, by the way, that I haven't seen any of the films we're discussing <laughs> this week. And this is not me being terrible at my job. It is. That's only a You're, part I'm, of it. I'm appalled, Chris. Just, honestly, but I'm I shocked. I haven't been here for a lot of the last couple of weeks. How, how many films have you seen, James? I mean, you say that, John, but I've watched an awful lot of shows for the new Pilot TV podcast, so I think I get a pass. Okay. Mm. I had to watch a Shane Meadows TV series, and therefore I had to set aside time to just cry into a bath. Uh, was so it before or after watching it? <laughs> it was during and afterwards. Uh, Terry made me do it. It was, yeah. Um, so, yes, Robert Pattinson plays uh, this mysterious spaceman on a mysterious spaceship. It's Spagemin. Please do continue. (laughs) And uh, the first sort of half an hour is almost wordless. There's a lot of time spent with his this this what we presume is his daughter um, with some very cute, obviously improvised scenes. Then about twenty minutes in, he starts chucking 
corpses out of the spaceship huh. and you sort of think okay so this could be a bit darker than i led to believe and it only gets darker than that there are some really distressing scenes there's a, a really unpleasant rape scene which i thought was perhaps a little bit unnecessary i get the feeling claire denis thinks it was very necessary but you know there's there's lots of very confusing and hypnotic scenes about sort of sexuality and parenthood there's um an interesting parallel with burn after reading if you remember the chair <laughs> wow. that george clooney built oh in I do. Uh, burn after reading there is a bit of a a mirror of that scene in this film crossover um, are we yeah. saying i'm not saying that no okay. but uh but it's yeah it's it's that sort of vibe there's echoes of Solaris, there's echoes of Silent Running, there's got a Space Garden vibe, there's echoes of Interstellar, they, they, they go through a wormhole. It's, it's very unconventional and it's, it's often very confusing, but it is a trip. It is a real trip and if you're new to Claire Denis, this is a brilliant way to, to start. I think it's, it's, there's a lot of things you can talk about with this one. Awesome, can't wait to see it. Yeah. yeah. And that's... Four stars. Four stars then for High Life. And that brings us neatly on to Detective Pikachu. Pika Pika. <laughs> There's a natural segue there, isn't yeah. it? There's a very, very natural se- Well, both imagine a world different from our own. Both could perhaps broadly be described as sci-fi, I guess. Sure. Sure. Um, uh, no, I'll be honest. I know nothing about Pokemon, okay? So What's your favourite everything- Pokemon, Helen? I mean, it's it's Detective Pikachu because I don't know any <laughs> others. So this basically takes place in a world where Pokemon live. And in this one city, Pokemon and people live together in harmony. Everybody has basically a familiar Pokemon. It's almost a sort of His Dark Materials thing where everybody's got their, you know, demon yes. kind of thing. But it's a Pokemon. But there is one exception. Uh, he actually lives outside town, but he comes to visit at the beginning. It's Tim. He's played by Justice Smith from Jurassic World. Mm. Um, and... He uh, works for an insurance company. He's kind of in a dead end. He's kind of in denial a bit about life. He's been, uh, his mum died a few years before this. And um, his father is kind of estranged, living, working as a detective in the big city. And then he gets the news that his father's been killed in an accident. And he goes to try and find out what happened. And he meets his father's Pokemon partner, who is Pikachu. And for some reason, Tim can understand him. And he sounds like Ryan Reynolds. And even though he doesn't remember anything about the accident, the pair of them set out to solve the mystery. The results of which are super obvious, despite like a huge amount of monologuing that everybody has to do regularly to explain what the hell is going on to people like me. But it's still quite fun because you've got Ryan Reynolds being this adorably cuddly yellow little dude. Um, Pikachu. Pikachu. Yes, I knew that. <laughs> anyway, so it's it's a really cute film. This is by no means a sensible growing up film, but it's super, super cute because it turns out that Pikachu is adorable, as are many other Pokemon, which came as a bit of a revelation to me. I mean, you may all have known that. I don't know. I have no knowledge of, of the Pokemon. No, but there was a Mew, Mewtwo. He was a, that was a Pokemon, and there's a bunch of like ones where their heads explode if they get upset. And Oh, the duck. It's a duck. Psyduck. Psyduck. I've heard of Psyduck. Psyduck is in there. But yeah, no, this is a really cute film. I think uh, Justice Smith and Ryan Reynolds, whether or not he was in any way physically present, are really cute together. It's very obvious that the Pokemon City was filmed in London. Like, there's a huge number of really familiar buildings on, like, really unfamiliar streets. And that's kind of distracting if you're a Londoner. But otherwise, this is just cute as a bag of cute things. So, Detective Pikachu, we choose you. We give it three stars, which is a recommendation. 
Okay. Three stars for Detective Pikachu. I, you know what? I don't like the fact that it's officially called over here Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Oh, I don't either. I don't like that. And I don't also, like when uh, I don't like when corporations try and have their names inserted into the title, and that includes the Marvel stuff. Because mm. apparently, the official title over here is actually Marvel's Avengers Assemble, or even just yeah. stupidly mm. Marvel Avengers Assemble, which is dumb. Yeah. I think there's no colon in Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I think it is just Pokemon yeah. Detective it's Pikachu. Because he's, oh, yeah. oh, he's a Pokemon, because he's a detective a who's a Pokemon, so he's a Pokemon detective. Because if he's Pokemon a detective of Pokemon, no, but he's a, po- a detective who is a Pokemon. But is he a, like English detective, Pokemon, like Belgian detective Poirot? But then it should be Pokemon, Pokemon detective be, colon Pikachu. No, he wouldn't. It'd be Belgian but detective then it'd be Poirot, there, wouldn't it? Not necessarily. It depends on the context. Did you know there's a correct order for adjectives in English? What? You yeah. can't just say, like, a blue big bus. A big blue bus. Yeah. Mm. There is, we all know it instinctively. We don't know what the order is. But if you learn English as a second language, there is a right order for... No, it is. Is it like a size, bus. shape, colour? Yeah, there's... Like, there's I can't, it's about, like, it's a lot of words. Oh, I don't know them all. But there is a, a correct word order for... Did you know adjectives. you cannot start a, a sentence with a definite article? John. <laughs> Hello. What else have you seen? Uh, I've seen Arctic. That's brilliant. Uh, it is a film set in the Arctic. What? Yeah. Although it's not actually shot in the Arctic. Mm. It was shot in Iceland. Um, the and supermarket. No, it was in the country of Iceland. Did you know that there are Icelands in Iceland? Are there? Yeah. What do they call them? Iceland. England. In Iceland's in, what, the, oh, the supermarket. Yeah. Iceland. Can you get like, like raw shark for like a pound? <laughs> Probably. Anyway, sorry, do continue, John. <laughs> well, there's no there's no discount supermarkets in this film at all. In fact, there's nothing in this film, really. It's it's a sort of minimalist exercise. There's just frozen wastelands, as far as the eye can see, and Mads Mikkelsen with a beard. And that's that's basically it. I'm sold. I mean, yeah, that's that's all you need for a good film, right? So the, the premise is very simple. Mads Mikkelsen plays a pilot whose plane crashes somewhere around the Arctic Circle. A pilot, you say? Oh, God. A, a plane pilot. <laughs> right, sorry. There's no a TV plane element flyer. whatsoever. He's a person who flies a plane. Oh, certainly okay. no podcast. Carry on, John. Carry on. Thank you. So he, he crashes somewhere in the Arctic Circle, and then we meet him trying to basically find rescue. Mm. The first shot is him putting out a giant SOS message in the snow. And it's so it's essentially just a, a stripped down survival movie in very much in the vein of like All Is Lost. I don't know if you ever mm. saw that with, with Robert Redford's on a boat film. about to sink. Um, it's got really that very similar sort of vibe to it. It's, ve- it's very tough and methodical. You know, this is a character who's very resourceful, who knows how to survive the elements, who's doing everything right, but still the elements are beating him down. It's got real like stunning photography actually that iceland of course is used all the time in, in filming but it really sells it as a sort of beautiful mysterious and and really tough landscape and mads mickelson is fantastic i mean he only says like three things because he's by himself for most of the film but a lot of it is just like grunting um but he's does some really good grunting but i mean his his facial expressions though he really sells the sort of hope and despair that he flits between throughout this film i don't know if i've ever seen him better actually and that's saying something because he's very good a lot Mm. of the time um clash the titans yes yes who can forget king arthur doctor strange Uh, yeah hannibal Actually, he is. He's a good animal. Oh, come on, come on. He's all right. He's all right. It's it's phenomenal. I mean, it is a very low key film. You know, it's low key. 
Oh, give me my one second. Seeing who was going to go for the obvious joke first. <laughs> it's very simple. It's very effective. It's efficient. Um, but it just works. It works really damn well. Um, and it has a polar bear. Ooh, oh, well, you spoiler. have a polar bear. So, you know, go see it. Awesome. Tip top. How, how many stars? Four. Four stars then for Arctic. Sounds great. And then that brings us on. Finally, Helen wants to talk about Amazing Grace because it's amazing. It. It's really good. Yeah, this is just, it's not even a concert film. It's a recording film. This is Aretha Franklin, sort of height of her powers in the 70s, decided she wanted to do a gospel album and she wanted it recorded live. So over two nights in LA, she and her, uh, a preacher and a band and a choir just sang these songs for people who were invited in from the neighbourhood and some celebrity guests in the audience because Mick Jagger just turns up on the second night. Just to... um. Yeah, but he's like he's literally just sitting there fanboying in the front row. And it's just incredible. I mean, I cannot stress enough. This is literally just people singing gospel music, even with little bits of preaching here and there and some sort of, you know, backstage stuff. It's really stripped back. It was originally shot by Sidney Pollack and it was basically going to be shown on TV and was never aired, never used, and they've basically gone back into the archives and kind of put it together now. But it's kind of imperial phase Aretha. So this is her um, really at the height of her powers, kind of in her slight tendencies to sometimes oversing, but when she hits it, she hits it so hard. There's There's a moment in this film where the entire choir behind her just stand up and wave their hands in the air because she hits this one note. And honestly, you'll be right there with them. It's incredible. It's like, you know that bit in the full Monty where they demonstrate the Arsenal offside trap? It's literally (laughs) like that, all these hands going up at once as everybody steps forward. Um, It's amazing. But it is just gospel music and... I can see why you would think that you wouldn't enjoy it, but honestly, it's it's phenomenal. I watched this the same week as I watched Beyonce's Homecoming, and they feel very much of a piece in terms of being celebrations of excellence, of black excellence, of black female excellence, of however you want to put it, but just incredible women doing incredible things like it's nothing, like it's absolutely nothing, and it's kind of amazing to see. So I just I thought this was brilliant. Fantastic. One star, Lynn, for Amazing Grace. <laughs> no, sounds great. Uh, the review, as we speak, isn't up on the Empire website, but will be in due course. So check it out, empireonline.com, if you want to read the review of Amazing Grace. Right, that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, when we'll be joined by my favourite star, TBC. Love Ooh. them. Big fan. His Huge or her work fan. is incredible. Oh, my God. Do you know the time they did that thing in that movie? Oh. oh, so good. Or maybe possibly directed that movie or wrote that movie. I don't know. But very excited. So excited that I mispronounced the word excited. That's how excited I am. Anyway, until that auspicious occasion, until we find out just who the fuck we're talking to next week, until we meet again, <laughs> it is goodbye from John Nugent. His, his star shone so brightly and so briefly <laughs> and then burned out never to be heard of again. It was such a shame <laughs> that he what? left... Uh, Are you going to oh, hey, murder me now or something? What? Nope. No plans. Bye, John. Bye. <laughs> it's goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. And before I go, I'm, of course, obliged to give a shout out to the podcast. It's goodbye TV from Helen specifically, specifically, the Line of Duty spoiler it's special from that we brought up last week. I can't believe you. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm really excited to listen to it, James. Thank you, Helen. The I haven't line watched of any line of duty. Great. I haven't watched any line of duty though, so will I understand well, it? Well, I mean, we'll ruin it for you, oh. but sure, listen anyway. Here's okay. the thing about line of duty. 
I've seen precisely one scene of Line of Duty. Uh-huh. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Okay. None of the things you just said are true, apart from maybe the bit apart that you've only seen one scene. Apart from the factual stuff yeah, that I just said. Apart from the actual factual bit, yeah. I was waiting to watch the snooker. What's, so a, what's a snooker? snooker? Jimmy Snooker, the superfly. Snooker. 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 The game. <laughs> snooker. The sport. Snooker. <laughs> Oh, 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 I'm terribly sorry. I'm sorry. We should speak like James. Professor in with me. Uh, so let me just uh, talk like this for the rest of the podcast. Uh, so, James, I was waiting one time to watch on the television the game of snooker. Yes? I understand now. Snooker. Yeah, I got it. And it's on got the it. BBC too. And I turned it over. It was about nine o'clock. And I thought, I will watch the snooker now. So I turned it over using my remote control gadget. I came with the television. Pointed it at the television. Yeah. Turned it over. There was um, a bit of the line of duty instead. Mm-hmm. There yes. was a young lady. And she was being pushed out of a window. Ooh, in defenestrated. What I, defenestrated, if you will, sir. <laughs> in what I believe is one of the films, many, the, the television show, uh, Chad Mercurio is the fellow, I believe he wrote it, <laughs> possibly on a typewriter, possibly not. And this young lady was being defenestrated in the most horrid manner in a hospital room, and I believe it was one of the many twists and turns that comes with the line of duty television programme. Yeah, it was great. And it was shit. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. The special effects were horrible, and it really, I was like, what the hell is this? And I, I looked it up on the Google device, and it said a line of duty, and I went, this is an acclaimed television programme. How could the special effects be so fucking terrible? So instead, you watched the snooker. Yeah, the snooker was great. Good. Well, if, unlike Chris, you enjoy line of duty, you may enjoy the pilot TV line of duty spoiler special. What a load of shit. <laughs> no, looking forward to that. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of spoiler specials, our nearly four-hour <laughs> long Avengers Endgame special Part the first is out right now for you to listen to, and that's the in-studio special. We're still, we are probably going to put the live show that we recorded last week at King's Which Place up. Which was amazing. It was a lot of fun, and we wholeheartedly thank everybody who came to that. That was a lot of fun. That's going to go up as well at some point in the next week and a half. And then after that, yes, we will be doing those MCU retro spoiler specials that we recorded over a month ago, but I haven't <laughs> had a chance to edit, but we will do that. And then also we will be doing our other last spoiler bit for Avengers Endgame which is the interviews with Joe and Anthony Russo and Marcus and McFeely now the interesting thing is that these are the only times that they spoke to anyone about this movie and if you <laughs> look online you will find no spoiler interviews None. with any other outlet you should probably just not look online just, in fact yeah. I would why, not why look online mm. just take our Don't, word for it throw your phone into the Thames other rivers are available and then when we put those up they will be fresh because they are fresh because no one else has interviewed them. Sure. Yeah. That seems good. That seems entirely convincing yeah. to me. I think they bought it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sure I asked like one question no one else has asked. This is the longest outro anyone has ever done. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to watch the new trailer for It Chapter 2, which has debuted just as we've been doing the podcast and apparently is shit scary. Although, if it could be any scarier than Dan Jolin in a box holding a red balloon, uh, which is something that happened today in the Empire office and is on the Empire Twitter feed, if you wish to see that, then I will be frankly amazed. It's also become a Twitter moment. Has it? Yeah, for It Chapter 2. I'm not even kidding. Dan in a box is trending. It's my Dan in a box. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's Dan in a box now. <laughs> See you next week. Bye.